0: And Lord, I just want to ask you to to move upon the the teaching now. I mean, you know how much I need your help, and, and we need your help. Lord, that you'd give us hearts to understand, eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to respond. What an amazing message you've given us in the scriptures. Thank you that I get to talk about such glorious truths and come and do a mighty work in me and in us, I pray, Lord, right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, I'm sure most all of you have heard uh, you know, the tragic news this week about Tiger Woods, right, being unfaithful to his wife, and uh, when I heard that, a couple of thoughts just flashed into my mind, and one of them was, Tiger Woods has everything this world offers in spades, right? I mean, think about it. Talk about one you know, to succeed in career, okay? I mean, he worked hard, honed his skill. He's at the very top of the heap in terms of the whole golf world. I mean, he's, he's got the career thing down. If you're interested in pursuing career men, he's, he's got it. He's there. He's arrived, big time. Fame, he's the best-known athlete in the world, right? People know him all around the globe. Uh, money, fortune, okay? 2008, he made in one year. $110 million, okay? He has homes in uh, Wyoming. He's got homes in Sweden. He's got homes in California. He's got a home in Florida. They just bought a $38 million estate in Florida. that They to refurbishing, you know, um, scads of money. He's got family, love. I mean, he married um, Ellen Nordgren, supermodel. He's got two kids. Okay, so Tiger Woods has everything this world could offer somebody, right? So, why is he not satisfied? Why is Tiger Woods not satisfied? I mean, that should be a little frightening if what you're thinking is going to satisfy you is the things that the world has to offer you. Why isn't he satisfied? It's because Tiger Woods has done the same thing that you and I have done. We've all turned our backs on the only fully satisfying reality in the universe. We've all turned our backs on God. And we've tried to create our own little satisfaction projects that we can create and control and and take credit for. Everything here in the universe is about God, knowing God. Finding our heart's satisfaction in him fully and lastingly. That's who he is. That's what he gives. That's what Tiger Woods has missed. So that's the heart of what we've been talking about here. We're we're doing a series called The Story of God. We started with eternity past a number of weeks ago. And we we said that God is, the scriptures teach, God has always been. Go back as far as you want time wise. There's never been a time when God was not. Mind-blowing. And he's always been full of exuberant, passionate, burning joy in beholding the perfections of his glory as displayed in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So from eternity past, God's just full of joy looking at his perfections. And this joy that he's had from eternity past moved him to create a universe where he could display his glory. The heavens are declaring the glories of God, the scriptures teach us. And so God displayed a universe to go public with his glory. Let's just display our glory, the Trinity said, so that they could share with you and me the joy that they as a Trinity have in their glory. So that's why the universe is here. That's why you're here. There is an all-satisfying, ever-increasing never-ending source of satisfaction in the universe and it's in God knowing God okay then we went and we looked at creation saw that God created to display his glory and in Genesis chapter 3 we saw the fall Adam and Eve turned their backs on God just like what Tiger Woods has done and what you've done and what I've done okay turned backs on God that's what the Bible describes as sin And then last week, we saw in Genesis 4 through 11, as we're continuing the story of God, sin spread through the world. Adam and Eve had children, 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 children. Sin spread through the world. Uh, Genesis 7, we see what sin deserves, the flood, where God drowns everyone on the earth except for Noah and his family, eight people total, showing us that's what sin, my sin, your sin, deserves judgment from God. But then after that, sin just kept spreading through Noah's family, children, until we get to Genesis 10 and 11, when the world is full of people and everyone in the world is, has turned their backs from God. No one in the world is trusting God. Not, not even one is walking with God. No one's calling upon God. And they all deserve a flood. That's where we end up in Genesis chapter 11. So here, here's the story of God. is like getting really bad, bad news. But remember, God is not surprised by any of this. He has purposefully allowed all this to develop because this is going to yield an even greater display of his glory. Because the highest display of God's glory, which is the the highest joy we can have, is to see the glory of his mercy. And it's in Genesis 12 that we see an amazing display of God's mercy. So let's turn there. Genesis 12. It is such a privilege to be able to be a pastor and talk about this kind of stuff. This is amazing. So turn to Genesis 12. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I'd like you all to be able to see this for your own eyes. This is unbelievable what happens next. Genesis chapter 12 is on page 8 in the Bibles that we're passing out. Okay? Got it? Genesis 12? Okay, again, a little bit of background. Genesis 10 and 11, as we saw last week, every people group... On the earth, spread throughout the globe, every single people group has turned their back on God. No one is loving God, trusting God, worshiping God, following God. So every people group, all the people spread throughout the earth, they deserve another flood from God. Genesis 7 makes clear. But what does God do? God comes down and visits one people group and one man in that people group, a man named Abram. And Abram was an idol, an idol worshiper, probably a moon worshiper, had turned his back on God, unrighteous man, and look at what God says to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Remember, this is holy, righteous, pure God talking to Abram who's been an idol worshiper, moon worshiper, has turned his back on God. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's what God comes and says to Abram. Now, here's the question I had when I read that. How can God say that? How can God bless Abram and every people group. Abram has been completely unrighteous. All the people on the earth have been completely unrighteous. How can God say he's going to bless Abram, bless all the people group when what they all deserve is another flood, judgment from God? How can God bless Abram and every people group? You feel the question? To answer that, start with Galatians chapter three verse eight. And this is way back to the right. Uh, it's on page nine seventy three in the Bibles we passed out. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So turn to Galatians chapter three verse eight. Paul wrote Galatians. Paul was a rabbi, Jewish rabbi, Old Testament scholar. And in Galatians chapter three verse eight, he explains what God was saying to Abram in Genesis twelve three. Galatians three eight is Paul's commentary on Genesis 12, 3. Okay, look at what Paul says. Genesis, I'm sorry, Galatians 3, 8. Are you all there? Okay, page 973 in the Bible just passed out. Look what Paul says. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying in you shall all the nations be blessed. Okay, notice that last phrase in quotes. Paul's quoting from Genesis 12, 3, where God says, in you all the family groups, all the people groups, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Paul explains that in Genesis 12, 3, then God is preaching the gospel to Abraham. Did you see that? Right, see that? Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So Genesis 12, 3 is God preaching the gospel to Abraham. So get the flow. We've got creation, Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 3, the fall. Sin spreads through the whole world. Genesis 4 through 11, the whole world is steeped in sin, deserving judgment. What does God come on the scene and say then in Genesis 12? The gospel. Genesis 12, 3. So he's preaching the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's that God will justify the Gentiles by faith, God will justify the people groups, the nations. By faith. That's why God can bless Abram and say he's going to bless all the family groups. It's because he's going to justify them through faith. Now, what does that mean? Justification by faith. If you've been around, you've heard that phrase. But what does that mean? Turn back to Genesis 15. Moses wrote Genesis to explain to us justification by faith. One of the reasons he wrote this book. Because we should just be reeling as we're reading this development of sin, Genesis 4 through 11, and then this speaking of the gospel in Genesis 12, verse 3. What does justification by faith mean? What happens when God justifies us? Here's the background to these verses. Okay, Abram and Sarah have no kids. They're in their 70s, all right, old, And well, well past childbearing years. And, I mean, Sarah obviously wasn't even able to conceive when she was in her prime. So that's the setting here for what God's going to say in Genesis 15. Look at verse 5, first of all. He, God, brought him, Abram, outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. (laughs) Then God said to him, So shall your offspring be. So here God's promising, Abram, no kids yet, 70 years old, wife's been barren, Abram, you're going to have as many kids as you can count stars in the sky. Okay, now Abram had had his heart changed by God. That's why he was not an idol worshiper anymore. God had changed his heart. So he was able to own up to the truth of who God is. And he knew from talking to people who knew Adam and Eve and creation and seeing everything, he knew that a God as powerful as a God who could create all this could have Abraham and Sarah conceive, even in their 70s or 80s or 90s, or it turns out being around 100, okay? He knew God had power to do that. And he also knew that a God who was so good and so merciful that he would create and give life to Adam and Eve and and give bodies like these to Adam and Eve and and bring husband and wife Adam and Eve together and provide everything they needed and give himself to them, a God who's just overflowing with that much goodness would not lie. So Abraham knew a God of that power and a God of that goodness who will not lie. He's going to do this. God's going to do this. I believe the Lord. I believe you. And that's what happens in verse 6. Abraham believes God and then look at what God does. Verse 6. He, Abraham, believed the Lord and he, God, now get this, counted it to him as righteousness. That is huge. That verse is quoted numerous times in the New Testament, one of the most important verses in the Bible. Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. And the language here, the Hebrew words, the way you take this, what this means is God counted Abraham's faith at that moment as a lifetime of morally perfect righteousness. God counts Abraham's faith as past moral perfect righteousness, present perfect moral righteousness, future perfect moral righteousness. So from that point on, when God looks at Abraham, Abraham's trusting the Lord, God sees him as having and now and continuing to live a life of perfect Moral righteousness. That's how God can bless Abram. That's how God can bless you. That's how God can bless every family on the earth. It's because he counts people's faith as a lifetime of perfect moral righteousness. Now, if you're thinking, like honestly, you're thinking, no way. I mean, (laughs) that's nuts. If you're not feeling that, you're not hearing it. You know you, I know me, we know Abram, moon-worshipping Abram. For God to count someone's faith as a lifetime of perfect moral goodness and righteousness, that's nuts. Are you feeling it? Okay. Here's an illustration I heard from John Piper, which was helpful for me, just to This will probably make it feel even more nuts, but that's all right. Okay, hang with me here. Now, this is not an illustration on how to do child raising. Get the point. Okay, don't get lost in the details. Let's say that I say to my son, if you clean your room before you go to school, I'll take you to the Giants game this afternoon. Okay? And then he gets distracted and, ah, he's got to run to school, didn't get his room cleaned. And he comes home and he's just crestfallen. He's just sorry. And in mercy, I say to him, I see that you're sorry. Tell you what, I'm going to count your sorrow as a cleaned room. Let's go to the game. Okay? I'm going to count your sorrow as a clean room. All right? Now, think that through with me. Uh, My son's sorrow was not a clean room, right? It wasn't a clean room. Abram's faith was not a lifetime of perfect moral righteousness, right? Okay, really important that you get this. But I count my son's sorrow as a clean room and so we go to the game. He gets the benefits of of having a clean room. Right, God counts Abram's faith as a lifetime of perfect moral goodness, and so Abram faces no flood, no eternal punishment in hell from God, and Abram is immediately connected with God, knows God's presence, knows the heart-satisfying experience of beholding God, worshiping God, walking with God. God counts Abram's faith as a lifetime of perfect moral righteousness, and so immediately he gets all the benefits of that, no punishment, and God as his treasure forever. That's the blessing that God gives to Abram. In Genesis 15:6, Abram believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And that's the blessing that God spoke to Abram, would go to all the families of the earth back in Genesis 12:3. In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Because remember, in Galatians three eight, are you tracking with me? Paul said that that's where God spoke the gospel to Abram about justifying the Gentiles by faith. So that's the blessing of Genesis twelve three. That's the blessing of Genesis fifteen six. It's justification by faith. Okay. Now here, here's the question that's kind of burning in me at this point as I'm thinking this through. How can a just God do that? Okay. I understand. How can he do that, though? I mean, how can he be just and do that? We've seen the flood in Genesis 7. We've seen what sin deserves. It's horrifying what sin deserves. And that's just a foretaste, because that's only, in this life, that's not eternity punishment, which is what we see sin really deserves. So if I deserve eternal punishment, how can God count my trust in Jesus as a lifetime of perfect moral goodness. How could he be just and do this? The answer is in Genesis 12 3. Look at that verse again. The last line that we've already read. In you, God says, "in, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the answer as to how God can do this. It's in you. It's in Abram. It's in your offspring, as he restates this same idea throughout the book of Genesis, it's in your offspring that this is going to happen. It's because of someone in your line, one of your children. So who is Abraham's great, 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 great grandson? Matthew 1, verse 1. I love this. First verse in the New Testament. The genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. In you, Abraham, in your seed, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. It's because of Jesus. That's why God can do this. Now, let me try to illustrate it this way. I hope this doesn't get too complicated, but um, I think it might work. Okay, there's me, or you, okay, all right, all of us. Think me, and then here's Jesus here. Okay. Now let's start with me, you, Tiger Woods, Adam and Eve. Okay, here we are. Now, this is my life. Okay, this was Abraham. This is Genesis 6, 5. God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay? So we got bitterness, greed, hypocrisy, gossip, boasting, grumbling, anger, envy, jealousy, self-righteousness, lust, lying slander, and selfishness, top left hand. So that's me that's you, that's what our life is like when God looks at us. That's reality, okay? That's just what it is. And because of this, I'm cut off from God, I don't have the heart satisfaction I was created to have, I'm empty, and I face God's punishment forever. Okay, so this is this is us, okay? Are you feeling it? This is me, this is you, this is us. Vital that we see this, okay, there we are. Now, great mercy God decided to save us through Jesus, okay, so here 's Jesus, and jesus here's Jesus, okay Jesus lived a lifetime of perfect moral goodness. I mean do you feel this? He never sinned. Everything he did was loving, good, kind, patient. I didn't write righteous indignation down there, but he had that in the temple, okay? So we got pure heart, kindness, peaceful humility, love for God, bold, honesty, mercy, patience, serving, compassion, and forgiving. So, So Jesus lived a lifetime of perfect moral goodness, okay? No sin ever. So Jesus died on the cross. Now, what happened the moment Jesus died on the cross? I'm sorry, Jesus died on the cross. What happened the moment... I put my trust in him, or Phil's friend, the moment Phil's friend put his trust in him, or the moment that you put your trust in Jesus, what happened? At that moment, 1972 for me, all of my sin was put upon Jesus. Selfishness, bitterness, greed, hypocrisy. God took all of my sin and he put it upon Jesus. And Jesus willingly and the Father brokenheartedly poured out the punishment that I deserved upon Jesus because of my okay. sin. Okay, so, so all of my sin and all the punishment that I deserve was put upon Jesus and he was punished in my place. That's not all that happened. At that, at that moment, when I'm putting my trust in Jesus, 1972, God took Jesus' lifetime of perfect moral righteousness And he gave that to me. When God looks at me now, this is what he sees. This is what he sees. He's counted my faith, because of Jesus, who lived the life of perfect righteousness, he's counted my faith as a lifetime of perfect moral goodness and righteousness. That's what happens. So from now on, as I'm trusting Jesus, that's how God sees me. And when I sin, when I turn back from my trust in Jesus, he still sees me as this perfect lifetime of moral goodness, which is what Jesus lived and gave it to me through the cross. So all of my sin went upon Jesus. He was punished in my place. All of Jesus' perfect moral righteousness was given to me. I'm accepted in his place. That's what happened. That's how God can be just. Was God just here? Did my sin get completely punished? Absolutely, in a horrifying way. Is my sin completely punished now? Completely. You mean like no more punishment ever again for me in light of all of this? No more punishment for me? Exactly. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is what's happened. In you, Abraham, in your seed, in you, your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson, great the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this is what happened to Abraham. Genesis fifteen six. So read that verse again. Just let this wash over you. He believed the Lord And God counted it to him as righteousness. That's how God can bless Abram, who's been a moon-worshiping idolater, and that's how God can bless every people group on the earth. Okay, so let me just draw one implication out here that's really important. Here we see how God saves people in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Salvation is not different, Old Testament, New Testament. Everyone is saved only one way, by being justified through faith. That's true for Abraham, Old Testament. That's true for us, New Testament. Old Testament, they trusted God's mercy and they were justified through what Jesus would do. New Testament, God has revealed himself even more clearly through Jesus, through the cross, we trust in Jesus and we're justified because of what Jesus did do. Old Testament, New Testament, there's only one way to be saved, justification by faith alone in what Jesus would do. That's the gospel. Now, I'm quite sure that many, most, maybe even all of us, we don't understand this enough. Okay, let me just throw out some examples and see if, if this resonates at all. We, we all need to, to get this more clear in our, in our minds. For example, how many of you, when a trial has come in the last couple of weeks, have thought, God's punishing me because of something bad I've done. How many of you thought that? Okay. I have. All right. I'm just wired that way. I think maybe we all are. The fact that I think that shows I don't understand this. Because all of my punishment has been accomplished already in Jesus Christ. Nothing that comes my way from God is punishment. Because of Jesus. The punishment's done. And so if we think, oh, something bad's happened, I guess God's punishing me. I've been I have been sinful, so I guess he's punishing me for it, we're not getting the gospel. We've got to get this more deeply. Another example. How many of you, when you've sinned, let's say you you click on some pornography or you lose your patience with your kids, and it's like, oh So how many of you feel like, okay, i got to do something good here to get back in God's good graces. Okay, I'll go to church for sure. I'm going to go to church. I'll I'll go to home group, okay? Or, you know, I'll be nice to the dog or whatever it is. So so you think of something. I mean, how many of you go there? You think, okay, I've I've got to do something here to make up for what I've done. Anybody think that? I know you do, okay? And when you do, you're not getting the gospel. One last example. Uh when you think, what will happen when I die? I'm going to go to heaven. And then you think, how do I know for sure I'm going to heaven? How do you answer that question? Do you think, well, I've been a good provider, I've loved my wife, loved my kids, I went to church. That's not the answer. Because there's a lot of other stuff you could mention that wouldn't sound so good, right? If you start going down that road... There's a lot of other stuff that will be show up on that road. Okay, a lot of mud holes and a lot of... Anyway, it's not the answer. There's only one way. It's because of Jesus' perfect righteousness given to me as a gift. And I've connected to him by faith. And because I'm trusting Jesus and I have a lifetime of perfect moral goodness, I'm in! I'm in a 100%. I'm in totally... It's not like, well, I hope so. No, a lifetime of perfect moral righteousness? Are you kidding me? I'm in. You're in if you're trusting Christ. See, there's only one way that we as sinful people, which we are, there's only one way that we as sinful people can be loved by a perfectly righteous God, and that is if you have a lifetime of perfect moral goodness. We've got to feel that. It's the only way. Perfect moral goodness. And there is a way for you to get a lifetime of perfect moral goodness. Trusting Jesus, who lived the life of perfect moral goodness. And he gives it to you as a gift. <laughs> There's only been one human being who's been perfectly morally good and righteous for a lifetime. Only one. Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And there's only one way that you can connect to him so his righteousness is given to you as a gift, and that's by faith, by faith alone, by trusting him. Not by trying to be good enough, but by trusting him. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. That's how God blessed Abram, and that's how God said he was going to bless all the families on the earth. Okay, now at this point, I'm thinking, okay, how can I be sure then that I've got this kind of faith? Because almost everybody in our culture today would say they have faith, wouldn't they? I mean, Oprah says she has faith and the Dalai Lama says he has faith. and I mean, I think almost anybody in San Jose, do you have faith? Oh yes, faith is a good thing. Everybody everybody likes faith. You'd all say you have faith, I'm sure. But do we have the faith that Abraham had? Because there's saving faith and then there's not saving faith. And Abraham had saving faith, so what is saving faith? And it's right here. We can see it described in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So go ahead and turn there. I want to change this a little bit. Different, different object lesson, okay? So there's no connection between this one and the last one, okay? So keep that in your mind, but different illustration now. I want to talk about two chairs, okay? Just to, to illustrate what we're going to see here in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. This chair represents all that God promises to be to us. Okay, God promises to forgive us. God promises to change us. God promises to provide everything we need. God promises to satisfy us with his presence. So, so this chair represents all that God promises to be to us. But now the problem is that Adam and Eve, and you and me, Tiger Woods, we've all turned our backs on that. We want to be in control. We want to call the shots. I don't care what you're promising to me. I want to, I want to, to, to be independent of you. And so we've all turned our backs on God, and we've created our own satisfaction sources okay so here's our satisfaction sources maybe you know money or career or sex or food or family or romance or whatever you know new outfits houses cars whatever so so here's our so that's what God promises to do to satisfy me in himself and then this is the satisfaction sources we've come up with on our own so you got two different two different chairs we're dealing with here okay now one point I want you to learn from this is thats that, is that we, we're all always trusting in something for our satisfaction. Y- you always have faith in something. Every one of you has always, this last week, lived by faith in something. You've never not trusted something to satisfy you this last week. It hasn't always been Jesus. We're always trusting something. So we're either in this chair or we're in this chair, but we're always, we're, we're created by God. We need to be trusting something else to satisfy. So we're always trusting something. It's either God in Jesus, or it's all these other little things here. So so here's where Abraham is sitting. He's a moon worshiper, he's an idolater, he's turned his back on God, and he's here, he's not trusting God, and what he's trusting in is his nation, his family, his kindred, his homeland, that's where his provision's going to come, that's where his security's going to come, that's where his identity's going to come, and that's where he's, he's sitting. I need to get our Bible to keep this going. But then look at what God says to him in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Check this out. Oh, this is so good. Okay, so here's Abraham sitting in this chair, trusting in his kindred, trusting in his family, trusting in his, in his country. Genesis 12, 1 through three. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And now look at these promises. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing i will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you i will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed okay so in here there's three aspects of faith saving faith abraham's faith there's three parts of it okay the first is understand what god promises notice that god details all these things so so there's the chair of what god promises so the first step is to understand What does God promise to do for me? What's what's this chair all about? And for Abram, it was, um, I will make you a great nation. First, I'll show you this land, verse one. I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. Make your name great. You will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who dishonor you, I'll curse. Bless all the families of the earth through you. So that's what God promised Abram. So first step was for Abram to know what God promised him. Now, that's not exactly the same thing God promises to us. That's unique for Abram. What does God promise to us? Okay, I've already mentioned it. He promises to every single one of you. Me too. He'll forgive us for all of our sins. He will change our hearts. So we love to bend the knee before him, trust him, worship him, walk with him. He'll change our hearts. So forgiveness, change of heart. He'll provide everything you need. Wisdom, finances, strength, Everything you need to fulfill his calling in your life he'll give to you. So forgiveness, change of heart, provision, and then heart satisfaction in himself. He will satisfy you. Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forever. Okay, That's what what God promises. Okay, so the first part of faith is to understand what God has promised. Okay, but now, Abraham's here. He's heard God say what he promises him. He's still sitting in this chair. He understands the promises. Is he trusting God yet? No, is the right answer. Okay, he's not. Understanding God's promises is not the same as saving faith. You can understand and agree that Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin and still be sitting in this chair, not saved is really big. You've got to understand that. Saving faith requires that, but that's not all that saving faith is. Okay, you got it? So understanding what God's promised is, is crucial. But there's a second step, and it's the step that God says right here. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. You've got to turn from what you've been trusting. You've got to go and Leave the th- other things that you've been trusting for your satisfaction. That's what God tells Abram. Does that make sense? Okay, so how can you tell what you've been trusting to satisfy you? How can you tell what things you need to be turning from even like right now this morning? Every day I've got new things. I, I create new chairs, new bad chairs every day. I come up with new ones. So how can I tell what it is today? How can you tell what yours is today? Ask yourself this question. What do you desire the most? Honestly, what do you long for the most? What do you look forward to the most? I mean, gut honest, really, truly. Or to put it slightly differently, what do you fear losing the most? What do you fear the most? Whatever that is, is what you're trusting the most that will satisfy you. Any number of things career, getting in shape a girlfriend, sex, possessions, money, retirement, health, those things aren't necessarily bad in themselves, but they were never created to be trusted in to satisfy you, because they won't satisfy you. They can be good gifts of God, but they won't satisfy you, okay? So we've got to understand, what is it that I need to turn from? What have I been trusting to satisfy me besides God as revealed in Jesus. So, that's, so the first step of faith is to understand what God promises. Second, turn from what you've been trusting to, third step, trust in God. And that's what, you can see Abraham does that in verse four. So Abraham went. He went from his country, went from his kindred, went from his father's house, left those things he was trusting, and he went. And it was by faith, Hebrews 11 Eight says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. Okay, so you've got to rest then, rely on God's promises to forgive me, to change me, to provide everything I need, to satisfy me. You've got to rely on him. You've got to go to him. You've got to look to him, think of him, rest your heart, rest your future in him. That's that's all ways of describing Faith. You're trusting God's promises as revealed in Jesus. Okay, now. Oh, yeah, there's one other thing I wanted to say. Really important. Now, this doesn't mean that the Christian life means you're always sitting in this chair. We ought to be. Always. I mean, get real. Compare God's promises. God, (laughs) I will forgive you and clothe you with. A lifetime of perfect righteousness. I'll change you so you see who I am and you love to bend the knee before me. I will provide everything you need and I will satisfy you fully now and forever. I mean, compare this with, with this. Can, you gotta be joking. Why do we keep turning back to this? It's because we still have, ah, oh, that thing, sin in us. Right? We've been saved. Hearts have been changed, but we still have sin in dwelling that doesn't get totally taken away until heaven. And so it's just like, ah, uh, right? And it's like, pull. Why am I leaning over this way? How do I get back here? Right? Are you guys asleep? Are you getting this? Okay, this is how it works. So we should always be sitting in this chair, but we're not. Because it's like it's like, you know. <laughs> okay, so it's back and forth now. That does not mean that we go from being justified to all of a sudden not justified or not saved. But if you've been saved, you won't stay long in this chair. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Help me. Okay? This is what Abraham experienced. Um, Later in chapter 12, I want to have you read it. I love how Moses writes this. He he pulls this out. Abram and Sarah are on their way to Egypt. Remember this story? Remember what God had promised Abram? How am I doing? For, oh, I'm going really long here. Okay, this is, I'll, I'll wrap it up here. Um, and God had told Abram, I'm going to bless you, make your name great, make you a great nation, protect you, uh, provide everything you need. And so Abram and Sarah are on their way to Egypt, and Abram becomes afraid. His wife is just a knockout. She's gorgeous, drop-dead gorgeous. And he's thinking, oh man, Pharaoh, he's got a lot of power. He's going to kill me and marry her, take her into his harem. So what does he do? Sarah, um, could you lie and tell Pharaoh, uh, you're my sister, so when he takes you into his harem, he won't kill me? (laughs) What chair is Abram in at that moment? Now, talk about stupid little satisfaction things we create for ourselves. Abram had created a way to save his life. Okay, Sarah's going to lie, and then she's going to leave me and go into his harem. That's sad, but I'll be alive. Okay? <laughs> Compared to creator, God, anybody who dishonors you, I'm going to curse them. Right? And, and the wonderful thing is, God ends up doing that for Pharaoh. Read read chapter 12. Okay. But do you get the point? Abraham is back and forth. The Christian life is back and forth. So you got to understand, I'm not always trusting Jesus. You're not always trusting Jesus. We've got to learn, when am I not trusting Jesus? Oh man, I've, I'm desiring something else. I'm pursuing something else. I'm not trusting Jesus right now. That's the problem, and that's the answer. Trust him. Set your heart back on him. Okay, let's just stop there. So, uh, any, we don't have time for questions. Are there any like really burning questions that I can answer really quick? Okay, good. Sanctification is the, because we're, we're we're growing, we're spending more and more of our time here and less and less of our time here. And when we're here, we're quicker to see that we're here and we're quicker to move back here. Does that make sense? Good question, Paul. Awesome. Okay, any other questions like that? or not <laughs> or not if you've got one it was his deity that made his punishment of infinite cost and if it wasn't of infinite i owe an infinite punishment for me infinite is time eternal hell for him it wasn't eternal it was but it was eternal in in going from deity to man and being punished on the cross does that make any sense Okay, so I, I think his deity is essential for what we're talking about here. So if I understand right, how, how do you discern whether what's coming from God, like a difficulty, whether it's punishment or whether it's discipline? Is one way to put it? Okay, I think what I would say, and see if this sounds right to you, is if, if I'm trusting Jesus, then it's discipline. If I'm not, it's a, it's a precursor of punishment to come. Now, you're, maybe you're asking much more than just that God, God in Hebrews 12 God does discipline us but it's not punishment it's rehabilitative it's therapeutic it's, uh, it's for our holiness I mean and it can be hard I've experienced that it sounds like you have too and many of us have but it's sweet because it brings us to our knees and then we meet him and it's thank you okay alright you've probably got some more questions email me or talk to me afterwards let me just close with one Real quick, uh, some of you might be thinking, "Okay, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm sitting in this chair. I just suck. I mean, here I am. I don't have any, I don't have any faith." And uh, okay, I'm going to leave here feeling guilty again, and because uh, I'm just, I don't have much faith. And I just want to, I just to say something to you. Um, there is a step you can take that can sound simplistic, but it is such the heart of what we're talking about here. Romans ten seventeen, faith. Comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If you, I promise you, I promise you no matter how faithless you feel, and there's times where I feel faithless and God has never failed me in this, if you will take some time and open up the scriptures, maybe ask your home group leader, what would be a good passage to read or ask a friend or whatever, and pray and say, God, I feel completely without faith right now. Help me, give me faith. And you just start to, to feast on who Jesus Christ is, you start to see his power. You start to see his love. You start to see his mercy, his wisdom, his faithfulness, like we sang about this morning. The Holy Spirit will come and change your heart and faith will start to rise. So don't just say, yeah, I I know, I don't have any faith. And I just, you know, I don't know. I mean, don't stay. See, that's that's, don't stay there open up the Bible, start to pray, and move. Okay? And, I mean, I say this to myself. I need to do this all the time. Every day I've got to fight getting out of that chair. Every day I can think of new little satisfaction projects that I've got besides God. And it's just stupid. So every day we've got to fight this thing. Okay? But here's, here's the amazing news. Abraham believed the Lord and it was reckoned to him as a lifetime of perfect moral righteousness. That is just the most sweet news a sinful man like me, a sinful person like you could ever hear. You don't need to try to be good enough because you can't be. You don't need to try to earn it because you never will. You trust him. And how could you not trust him? <laughs> Creator of the universe. Look at how immense he is in power. Look at his goodness in creating Adam and Eve and giving them each other. Look at his wisdom in all that he's created. Look at his mercy in giving, giving, giving. How can he not trust him? Trust him. Okay, let's stand together. God, I pray for your power to come upon us. Those of us especially who are feeling like we don't have faith, we're not very spiritual, I'm feeling guilty again. Let's go eat lunch. Lord, I I pray that you would just shake us up right now. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would show us the promise of what you'll do in our hearts through your word. That you will give us faith. You will change our hearts. If we will seek you, we will find you. The word is there. Open it, is what you're saying. So I pray, Lord, that you would do that. Strengthen us in faith. Thank you, Jesus for taking all of our sin upon yourself and being willing to be punished. Thank you, Father, for being willing to punish your only son in our place. And thank you for giving us the gift of a lifetime of perfect righteousness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.